Oh boy, do we have a good one for all y'all today. Of course, I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG, in addition to being a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the longest running, or is it the longest running? No, but it definitely is one, is the most popular blog for Star Trek Adventures RPG. I'm also the lead writer on Captain's Log Solo RPG. Um, and before we introduce our special guest today, I have to, of course, hand it over to my amazing co-host jim johnson hey everybody jim johnson i am the project manager and line editor for the star trek adventures rpg and the captain's log solo rpg both published by modifius entertainment low these many years and a co-host on this here's show with michael and we're excited to introduce our guest for the evening uh, trevor duvall and uh trevor uh introduce yourself but uh also and you know going in, in the pre-show you mentioned that you're not a big star trek fan so this will put you on the spot right away uh we always ask our guests what's your favorite star trek series and who is your favorite star trek captain so introduce yourself sir probably han solo oh wait <laughs> yeah but no one's ever done that joke before <laughs> a million times uh, I am Trevor DeVal. Yes, I am a professional voice actor, but I also have a YouTube channel called Me, Myself, and Die, where I play role-playing games by myself <laughs> and also with other people sometimes. But uh, I inadvertently um, started this um, uh, giant, well, I didn't start the solo thing. I just stumbled across the solo thing and uh, it became popular and it's been four years and growing every day and all that stuff. And in terms of Star Trek, uh, I have to say... What do I have to say? I have to say that um, I'll always be an original series guy. I can't like anybody but Kirk. Well, John Luke was good. Picard was good. Uh, um, I was a Next Gen fan uh, in the later seasons of uh, Next Generation, uh, but I was not a huge Star Trek guy uh, growing up. I was there and I saw it, but uh, I'm not. I'm not like super fan. I couldn't. Oh. I couldn't tell you what a you know. I, I like meeting people like you because I love hearing in later years how you regret how you squandered your time by not watching all of the episodes. Believe me, I've met people like you and many have converted. So it's OK, Trevor. I, I, I love having you later on saying, I don't know why I didn't pick this up earlier. So that's cool. I, I, I love see how that. this is going to go. OK, yeah. I, I want to dig into a little of your past because I want to tell people why I brought you on the show. Um, I I started watching you during the pandemic um, because we all had an enormous amount of time to watch stuff and float through YouTube. Um, and I discovered you as you were playing uh, five parsecs from home. You're also playing another solo RPG that was more fantasy based. Um, and, and what caught me was your, your, your background and your animation and, and how animated you were with, with bringing these games alive. I, I found myself staring at the YouTube, like unbelievable that this guy is doing this on his own. I thought maybe you have a production team, but you don't correct. I wish I should okay. be so lucky. All right. So, so my, my, um, question and then what happened is if you don't know the history of uh captain's log is Jim Johnson had been sitting on for a while this brew that uh, that Modifius was going to do a solo RPG for Star Trek. And then he asked me, hey, Michael, you know, what's your interest in, you know, solo RPG? And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I right away thought about Trevor Duvall. And I said, I mean, he has so much fun with it. Where can we go with this? Um, so so before we get into your just solo RPG, first of all, I want people to really know who you are and kind of have a little resume of what 
you work on, because that to me is also a big fascinating part of you, your career in entertainment and stuff. So do you mind giving us the, the, you know, name drop resume type things that will make people be like, Oh my goodness. I think I actually may know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been a professional voice actor for uh, going on 25 years now. So it's been a minute. Uh, but kind of the big ones that I'm known for, I'm uh, uh, Emperor Palpatine on all of the Lego stuff, all the series and specials. Um, I was Rocket Raccoon on all of the Guardians of the Galaxy animated stuff. Uh, I was a bunch of characters in My Little Pony. Ponies <laughs> <Brony's> rock. <laughs> uh, I am on a series with Bill Burr and Laura Dern called uh, F is for Family on Netflix, where I play a bazillion characters. Uh, I'm known for a lot. Yeah. I've been at it a long time. So, uh, yeah, that's mostly what I do. Um, I never outed myself as a gamer until 2019 when I started the channel. Cause when I grew up back in the heady days of the, uh, late seventies, early eighties, you didn't talk about the game. It wasn't exactly a cool thing. It was something you, well, you just didn't talk about it. In fact, so much that when I would meet a fellow gamer, we had like this secret code we would talk to each other in to sort of identify. It was like a code word. So you knew that you were a gamer because you couldn't talk about it because otherwise you might, you know, you're not going to get girlfriends. Was it like banned in Canada or something? I, I, I didn't have this experience that you've had, Trevor. No, not, not, not banned. Just, uh, you know, it was, oh, what are you, a nerd? You know, so if you were trying to be in any way popular, which <laughs> I was at the time, uh, didn't, you know, you, you didn't talk about that uh, pastime. But it's a completely different world now. It's amazing to me. You know, everyone talks about it so openly. And I'm like, oh, my God. So strange. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Much better well, this well, I know that, you know, I've been seeing a lot of people ask a lot of questions. Basically, the big thematic question I want to answer today is, is solo RPG for me? Um, because there's been longtime gamers, you know, game masters sitting around a table, um, players who want to play. They don't know exactly where to go. But um, and then Jim chime in here. We've been. Um, I don't know if I should say strangely or weirdly surprised with how popular solo RPG gaming um, has become. I think it exceeded our expectations, wouldn't you say, Jim, from the launch of the book? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, we we developed the game and uh, we just didn't know what to expect. We knew that uh, there were a handful of uh, solo RPGs out there and uh, within the last, I don't know, five to ten years, they started picking up steam and uh, we just didn't have a sense of what would happen <laughs> once we released, uh, you know, Captain's Log. So we were, we were pleasantly surprised at how much uh, interest there was in a uh, solo RPG. Uh, you know, I mean, it didn't hurt to have Star Trek as a you know a global IP to 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 back it up right, but uh, just solo RPGs in general, uh, surprisingly high interest uh, right now. Yeah, uh, Kelsey Dion uh, and I were talking in uh, the Shadow Dark creator, and she said uh, at the time anyway that uh, the number one supplements on sale at Drive Through RPG they were all solo stuff, and I was like, but this is really like it just is so strange to me, but. Okay, but yeah, like you say, there's there's a lot of interest um, in. So, was it your first time in 2019 jumping into solo RPG? Yeah, I didn't know it was a thing. I the reason why I started doing it, and I, I've I've told this story before, but the the short version is the reason why I started doing it is because at the time, me and a couple of other voice actors in LA, we were trying to get our own thing going, kind of a critical role-ish thing, but, you know, not critical mm -hmm. role because we know all those guys. Uh, but we were thinking, well, you know, maybe we'll work with some other companies and see what we can do. And it was going great until it wasn't because of scheduling, as is always a problem with a bunch of voice actors. You know, it's like herding cats. So 
finally, I thought, you know what? To hell with this. I'm going to do this all myself. I'm going to play all the characters. Ha ha. Won't that be hilarious? No one's ever done that before. So I did this show when I thought I was so clever and that no one had ever done anything like this before. And then all of these people came out of the woodwork on YouTube going, oh, finally, someone doing solo RPGs like we've been doing for 20 years. I was like, what? Solo RPG? What are you talking about? This is a joke. What do you do? But it wasn't a joke. It was something that people had legitimately been doing for a long time. And how I knew about the tools of solo RPG was as a GM. Because I had found Mythic, the Mythic GM emulator years ago, years ago when it first came out. And yes, it said this is a way to facilitate solo RPG, but that didn't compute with me. What I mm -hmm. saw was, oh, here's a tool to be able to use at the table to, to use in improvising with the player's choices in the moment to come up with something organic. And that the tool is fantastic for that. It's also fantastic for creating uh, scenarios beforehand. But the whole solo RPG thing didn't really connect with me. So yes, I was aware that it was a thing, but it didn't really, it didn't, it didn't. Yeah. Come. And so when I when I started doing the, the the channel, and all of these people came out of the work woodwork, and I thought, well, there's an oxymoron—a community of solo role players. <laughs> right. And so and so let's. I want to uh, make sure to give people a, a preface to this too, because. <clears throat> If someone saw me, myself, and die, they may say, I am not ready for solo RPG because you are definitely high production value. So we want to be realistic and have people's expectations, um, um, you know, be real about, hey, it's still fun, even if you're not doing this high production thing. So talk to us about the highlights that you found. What do you what do you get out of solo RPG, even so if the cameras weren't on? So to address that, I, I I say all the time, and I will repeat it here, I am doing a show. I do a show. Yes, I am playing a game, but it is a show. <laughs> it's, de it's designed to be tightly edited with all these kind of production values and music and sound effects and all that kind of stuff. Um, it didn't occur to me until someone wrote a book on solo role-playing, wherein there was a chapter saying, you know... Trevor DeVal is a professional. You don't have to do it like him. And I was like, oh, I made a book. Oh. But then I thought, oh, no, it's it's the Matt Mercer effect all over again, except for stuff where now people think, oh, yeah, no, this is you, you have to do it this way. And I want to absolutely get that idea out of your head because thank you. I do a show. <laughs> Good. And you still have a, a wealth of advice to give about it. So so I would like to, you know, pick your brain on that too. So, so what would be like the number one piece of advice you give to somebody they're sitting home alone, they want to go ahead and give a, a stab at solo RPG. What's your first starting out advice for them? Well, there are so many, I could say, you know, a lot of people would say, well, just remember it's your game. So you can do whatever you want. You can have fun. And yeah, that's all true. But honestly, my advice would be, um, it is your game. And so therefore understand the rules you're using because when you're by yourself and you're fabricating this situation with the character in a, in a game world, if you don't have the solid structure of a rule set or even something as, uh, as sort of, uh, um, general as like a, a mythic emulator kind of tool, like an Oracle, what we call an Oracle. If you don't have a solid structure, it's going to be much harder to have fun. It's going to be much harder to channel your create creativity. Because I see a lot of people like on Reddit and forums and stuff when they're talking about solo stuff, they say, well, just remember, just have fun. It's all, you could do anything you want. It's your game. Yeah, but it's still a game. And a game means that there's rules and a structure in place. And if you don't follow that, then you're not really playing the game. You're just playing happy story time, which is fine. But that's not what I do. What I do is I sit down to play a role playing game 
And I happen to use these oracles in order to help me facilitate that doing by myself. So this it's, it's a it's a slight but crucial difference in perspective. You know what I mean? Well said, Nathan Dowdell, who's the designer of Star Trek Adventures. Um, he he said the same thing. He says you can sit around and tell stories with your friends, or you can play a game, or you can tell stories in a game format. So you have to have mechanics along with the story. Okay. Uh, that that was one of the challenges we found in designing it too. I know um, initially we with the assignment, Jim, again, feel free to chime in on it. We were kind of like, a, a like there's this amorphous blob of how do game mechanics work in this, and especially people by themselves um, doing it. And, and that was one of the pieces that we struggled with initially is like, when do you throw the dice? How do people know to have the impetus to throw the, throw the dice? Yeah, it's fascinating because to me, again, I, I I've been a gamer since the late seventies. So to me, the idea was always, you learn a game system. And then you play that game system with your friends. But the idea that you would create a game system specifically for solo play, that was unheard of. Uh, the first time I came across it was Iron Sworn. Um, but before that, it was just, no, 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 I want to play Savage Worlds. But it's just me. So now I have to have this emulator to help me facilitate the role of a GM. I'm still playing Savage Worlds exactly as I would with any other group, except it's just me. And then Ironsworn came along and Ironsworn made me go, oh, this is a game that specifically whose mechanics are specifically designed to help facilitate that. And that was pretty eye opening. Uh, and then I saw more and more and more. And of course, haha, then I saw yours and I thought, oh, yeah, no, this is exactly the same kind of thing where it's facilitated specifically for that type of play, which, yeah, I mean, that would certainly make it easier to go in. I'm still old school. I still like, no, no, I'm going to take Rollmaster and put an Oracle on top of it. And now I'm playing. I'll make any mechanics work. You know what I mean? I'm that guy. But um, people who come to it, uh, who had never done it before, I think these kind of mechanics and stuff like in Iron Sworn are really helpful to get you into the right mindset, you know, because there is mm -hmm. there is a narrativist kind of mindset uh, that goes into a lot of these games, which is helpful in solo mm -hmm. play where it's not always as helpful being a GM for a, a group of players. And I think that's a crucial difference as well, is that yes, you have more agency and you have more freedom when you're by yourself to sort of like mold and shape the narrative within the confines of the rules of the game, obviously. But also, uh, you know, you still um, totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> anyway. oh, okay. oh, I, I want to go into that because you're talking about the different books there. How many different solo RPGs do you play separately because you have iron sword and i know you play five parsecs from home are there more that you play than that well i don't actually play anything unless it's on the channel so all okay. the solo gaming i've ever done if you've watched the channel you've seen all the solo gaming okay Got uh, it. I, and then i've used the solo tools to help facilitate stuff in my my groups my live groups but okay because people have been asking us too about supplements like okay um does you know, where do I get more oracles? We call them probability matrices in, in Captain's Log. It's probability matrices is our term for oracles, random tables. Um, and so then the question comes in like, well, can I build my own game? People are asking a lot of these questions. We have definite answers about that. What's your definite answer about supplements and building I your own oracles or random tables? Great. I mean, I used a ton of them in my in my three seasons of the show. Um, 
Well, I shouldn't say that. I, I used a ton of them in the first season where I was playing Savage Worlds and kind of finding my feet. I used a ton of them in the third season where I was using Dominion rules. But in the second season, I was just using Ironsworn, just Ironsworn, because everything was in that book. So mm -hmm. I didn't need to go outside of that. But it, when I was when I was playing Savage Worlds, I was creating this fantasy setting as I went. So I wanted more randomizers. I wanted more tables to help me help facilitate my imagination. So supplements are great. Mm -hmm. Unless one, you've already got a game that has everything you need in it. Because from what I've seen, everyone on podcast, he keeps holding up the Star Trek Captain's oh, yeah, logbook, yeah, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> if for some reason you're not watching this, then, then poor, poor person you are. Um, yeah. Commuters, uh, commuters watch. Commuters, that's right. Yep. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so there's games like this, which have everything you need in it, but I would also caution not to get to, uh, no, don't overdo it with the supplements because, uh, what I found, uh, in certain, uh, times during season one, especially was that I sort of, I had, a, I had an embarrassment of riches. I had too many things to pick from, mm -hmm. and that can be paralyzing. So you want to sort of narrow down the supplements that you think are crucial to what you need in that particular session moment atmosphere milieu whatever the case is don't overdo it because then you spend more time flipping through supplement books trying to come up with something rather than actually playing the game yeah i i, I will say i actually felt really inept at first because when i first started playing solo rpg i wasn't flipping through the pages as quickly as you are and then i thought about it and looked very carefully at your production and you edit a lot <laughs> so, so it's very clip 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 to the pages and i was like wait a second i'm overdoing it here so yeah. uh <laughs> and I, I, I do want to speak to that because you know obviously people who are not well versed in production they don't necessarily put it together that you know just because you see me make a roll and then the next shot a millisecond later is i know what this means they don't they don't understand that maybe there was a part that was cut out of there where i'm going hmm what is it what could this be i wonder if that's now to my own credit i will say that rarely happens i'm pretty fast on my feet but mm -hmm. uh but yes there is a lot of a dead space that i cut out and <laughs> if you were to like a lot of people say to me well we want to see you actually play we want to we want to see we want to see how the sausage is made so you should do something live to which i say never i never do anything live because that's career suicide for me but uh <laughs> <laughs> now me and Jim do. We do a collab game, and we we don't do any editing on it. But I probably guess Jim that people watch it at one point five speed just to just to get it normalized. Yeah, I don't know. I I I noticed that uh, in my second or third actual play when I was working through Captain's Log, doing an actual play, like I could feel. Like as I was doing the roles and like and, and like what I what you were saying, Trevor, like I was sitting there thinking about it, like, okay, how does this how is this gonna shape the narrative? How's this gonna fit into the narrative? And and then I, I had that moment of like outside introspection of like, you know, I've been at this for like five minutes and I've been kind of <laughs> quiet and I don't usually edit my videos because I'm just, you know, I'm an amateur, I don't really care. Um, and I'm like, geez, someone watching this is gonna be like bored to tears because I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> okay, how's that gonna fit into the narrative? How's that gonna play out? Oh yeah, yeah okay. And then you know, going through that whole thought process that you just cut straight to the chase right. but you know i kind of wanted to give people the sense of the of the sausage making and the thoughtfulness that you can put into it um and then i know that there was one episode where i was just getting into the weeds and just adding more and more and more details to like oh what's what's this npc what's their motivation what's important to them what do they look like what species are they blah 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 and then like for 45 minutes i'm just adding details to this one thing and i'm not really advancing the story forward but i'm just adding more detail because uh, that's what you can do in a solo rpg and that's you know that's what i, what I did but i, I, I think there's I look I, back you know i think there's a lot of value still in that though because yeah. for people who are learning or, or looking to learn how this stuff works i think some, mm -hmm. seeing something like that is probably more valuable than seeing my show because mm -hmm. 
if you're trying to learn how to actually do this, you need to see behind the curtain. You need to see that there's thought processes that happen, that there's moments of 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 putting things together based on roles and stuff like that, that, that take time. Uh, a number of years ago, I was trying to figure out Burning Wheel. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Burning Wheel or not, but it's a it's a game I have a love-hate relationship with. And um, I found this one series that was doing an actual play. And I thought, okay, I'm going to watch this. And I normally never watch actual plays because they bore me to tears. However, I watched the first few episodes of the, and these are like three hour sessions. You know, this is a, there's no editing. It's just full on. And I found it extremely educational. Yes, I was fast forwarding through a lot of the, we'll call it the talking parts, <laughs> but, but it was extremely educational because it does, it does show what a real game is supposed to look like and and the thought process there. So I think, I think that there's a lot of value in it. It's just not something I want to do myself as a product. That yeah. I want to do, you know? Well, I love you, you say that because really, Jim, again, what you're doing and what we're doing is educational versus entertainment. Right. Trevor is a highly refined, finished product. He is an entertainment show. Yeah, up there with I, I, I actually list you up there with Harmon's Quest. I don't know if anyone oh, ever heard wow. of Harmon's Quest, but it's really you're watching them play. They're editing it, then they turn it into an animation. You know, so so um, I, I really do that because we do get a lot, Jim. I have seen the comments on your videos, and people are very thankful because you're walking them through it piece by piece. Um, so again, and for those listening to this, understand the difference. Because my biggest thing, again, if everyone can walk away today is thinking like, oh, I can do this. It's for it's for me. It's, it's for fun. Um, I want to go back to it. I think I asked you the question once, Trevor, but I don't know if you got into it enough. What do you get out of, now that you've played it, what do you personally get out of solo RPG? I know you are you have the production value side of it, but um, suppose, you know, you did it. What would be the takeaway you think people might get from playing solo RPGs? I, I hear a lot that solo RPG is the answer to a lot of people's situations where they don't have a group, where their game they moved away from their gaming group or... Uh, their friends aren't available and they don't want to go online and just find a group of strangers to play with. Because, of course, in this day and age, you can find any game at any time through the various, you know, foundries and Roll20s and stuff like that. Uh, but that's a different animal than sitting down and playing with your friends, right? That's a wholly different experience. Now you're meeting these strangers online and there's all that kind of stuff that goes on. So I know a lot of people talk about how really it's the only role playing they get to do. And that's pretty huge. I get that a lot uh, in comments on my my show, a lot and a lot of emails and stuff. And uh, my patrons as well. A lot of them say, you know, thank you so much for this because it showed me that even though I haven't been able to play in twenty years because I've been raising three kids and I'm working this job and I don't have friends that play this anymore, I still get to a little taste. I get a, I get a little taste, a little that's thing. nice, you know. And it is great. I mean, if if because I mean I've been gaming since I was a little kid and I can't imagine not being able to do it for any reason. I can't imagine being in a situation. I've been extremely lucky. I have many groups, both in person and online and all scattered across the continent and stuff. But a lot of people don't have that. And so I think for them, solo RPG has been like this, this beacon of hope that they can actually get some level of, of uh, engagement with, with that old thing. Right? Yeah, I think that's totally what we've been hearing uh, all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Trevor, I've got a question for you. Uh, given your given your breadth of experience with uh, solo RPGs, right? Um, one of the things that uh, I was not expecting, but I was very confused about when uh, when Captain's Log hit and and people were starting to play it and get into it, and we were starting to get reviews on it and stuff, is uh, there were a number of reviews of the book that were saying, "Oh, 
Captain's Log is is a journaling game or it's a journaling thing as opposed to a solo RPG. And I'm like, wait a minute, what, what's the difference? And it's like, nobody has given me a good answer as to what the difference is between a journaling game versus a solo RPG. And I'm like, we've got the rules, we've got the, the, the oracles, we've got, we got a rule set. So it's an actual game that you can go in and, and play. I mean, you can certainly use it as a writing prompt and just go write short stories based off the writing prompts. Right. But like in, in your experience, like what is the difference between a journaling game and a solo RPG? Honestly, I think it's just a matter of how you um, log your data, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, I, when I'm playing these games, obviously I'm playing the characters, I'm engaging with the mechanics, I'm engaging with the fight mechanics and using the miniatures and and rolling the dice and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm really engaging with all of those physical kind of props and those physical things, even even like to me, uh, writing something on a piece of paper with a pencil is a that's as much of uh, a part of my visceral experience as anything else. So that's why for me, like playing online will never do it for me. Yes, VTTs are fine and good. They're not real games to me. They're they're substitutes and you use them if you have to. And hey, I'm very thankful for them because it's allowed me to play with people all over the world that I would have lost contact with. So well done, VTTs, carry on. However, for me, the visceral thing is I want I want that feel, that, that tactile sensation. So that's how I engage with it. However, there are people who don't do that. And there are people who want to experience the narrative of the character and how they choose to do it is they look at the tools with which you build the scene and then they prose it up. Then they write out a prose version of it. There's a game out there called Thousand Year Old Vampire. Have you heard of this game? It's pretty wild and it's it's a beautiful product as well. Basically, the game is uh, you play this vampire and you can start at any time period and you basically chart the unlife of this vampire all through the centuries and see what happens. And the book, the rule book is essentially just a series of. Um, well, it's a, it's a few things, but what the, the major part of the book is, is each page has a different entry on it. And it's kind of like a choose your own adventure ish a little bit in that you want to know what happens. You flip to this thing, you roll a D six and you look at what happens on the page. And, but, but there's no other mechanics really in that game. It's not, it's not, it's not taking a role playing game and then putting this sort of Oracle journaling game on top of it. It is a journaling game. It is specifically designed for you to look at the the pieces of the story and to and to write them down as a journal so that at the end you've got this journal it's almost like you come across this diary of this ancient vampire who who charted his experiences over the past 2000 years kind of thing. That's really cool. Uh if I'm going to be uh, not as charitable as I normally am, I would say that's not a role playing game, that's a writing exercise. Mm. And Hey, you know, people are going to go nuts or not or whatever the case is. But in my opinion, I looked at this beautiful book and I bought it and I went, wow, this is a beautiful writing exercise. But it's not a it's not a role playing game to me because you're not actually playing the character. You're journaling the experience of the character. And for me, that's not the same thing. But bias, bias, bias. I am full on. a an immersionist first person kind of player when I'm at the table. I don't say my character does this. No, I say in the character's voice, I do this thing or whatever, right? So that's just me. That's one play style. There are people who don't do that. There are people who would never dream of doing that because they're too embarrassed or they just don't like it or whatever the case is. And that's perfectly fine. No one trait, no one true wayism, obviously. Yeah. But uh, to me, the journaling thing is a very different beast. It's uh, 
and, and you know, I'm sure it could be extremely satisfying on many, like, you know, you said these, these games can be, um, can be writing tools. Like mm-hmm. I could write a Star Trek episode using this mm-hmm. and it'd be fantastic. When I first found mythic, I was like, Oh my God, I can, I can write a whole script. I can write a whole screenplay. And I have basically using the mythic emulator because it, it, it channels your creativity in a structured way. And that's the heart of all kind of, you know, story engagement. Right. But mm-hmm. so that, I think the difference is just a matter of how you, how you, um, sort of present it, right? Like, are, are you, are you really engaging with a core set of rules and allowing chance and allowing, uh, maybe that's a big part of it too, is the fact that, you know, a role-playing game means that there is a game. And when you have a game aspect that entails chance and risk and the unknown. And if you don't have some sort of way to emulate the unknown, if then you're just kind of playing past the stick story time. Right. And, and journal journaling games from what I've seen tend to fall more on the past the stick story time side of things than the game side of things. Uh, now there's do those game- journaling games. Do those journaling games push and incite conflict? I, I don't know enough about it. I can tell you that with thousand year vampire, there is a game aspect to it, obviously, because I said there's a randomizer in there. Uh, and yes, that absolutely does uh, uh, push conflict because of course, without conflict, you have no story ever. Um, so it does do that. And I'm, and I'm not trying to disparage the thousand year vampire. It's like I said, it's a beautiful product. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know enough about the other journaling games to, to really uh, speak with authority on it because it, it's just not my interest. Mm-hmm. Interesting. No, that's great insight. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I know that in playing a bunch of other solo RPGs, get, getting ready to develop Captain's Log, it was like, you know, some of them I was just doing bullet points and just kind of like building a narrative bullet point by bullet point, but I was still writing it down because like I couldn't just stare at the screen and just like imagine the story in my head without trying to record it somehow. Um, and then in other games, I was, you know, being much more, much more intentional about writing out a narrative after I got the bullet points. And then I go back and like build out a story and like, oh, that was kind of cool. Um, so I was just trying to get a sense of like where they, I'm trying to understand where they're coming from and, and how do they see the game as a journaling game versus an, an RPG? Yeah. Because like I felt like all the stuff was in there, like the uncertainty tables, the probability matrix. You, we, we really drive people to say, like, you know, narrate the scene until you get to a point of uncertainty or to where you have to complete a task. Because there's, you know, random chance there. You're either going to succeed or not succeed, or there's nuances to it. And it's like, there's certainly a game element here. So what are you missing? I, I couldn't figure it out. So yeah. I just, I'm grateful for your uh, for your insights there. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, really, that's all my show is, is one giant video journal of yeah. the game I played. So really, who the hell am I to say any of this? <laughs> well, well, my, well, well my, my, my question, because you were talking about how you're, you're uh, tactile and you want to touch the pieces and all that kind of stuff. And I, I have to ask... If anyone again watches the show, look at all the every episode has all these different setups. Where do you store all this? Oh man! <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness! Like, I, I look in the background, I see you have shelves, kind of like Jim has shelves of stuff. But you come out with these entire sets every single time. I mean, where do you keep all that stuff? Are you just constantly collect? I picture, I picture your garage just replete with all these boxes of stuff. Well, that's why I had to move to Texas. I needed a bigger house. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
<laughs> for all my stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a real problem. And in fact, now I have a lot of game designers sending me their games saying, hey, would you review this for the channel or have a look? And I'm like, oh, great. And that was awesome for the first year. And now I'm like, I literally, ha I, I bought all the Ikea shelves I can, and I've got high ceilings, like they're 12 foot ceilings. And those suckers are bang, they're right to the sea. So I am out of space. So I'm sort of thinking about preparing for my season four coming up and that's kind of a nightmare to me because it means that I have to I have to build and provide all this new terrain. And I'm like, where am I going to put any of this? You, you need to call the hack the, your house people. I don't know if you've seen them yet on Amazon or Netflix called hack your house. And what they do is in tight spaces, they have it. So like all of a sudden your gaming table will drop from the ceiling. Right. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> I think you're going to need that. All your miniatures will be like yeah. in hidden, hidden places, but it's a, how many miniatures have you collected now? Just the people. Oh boy. Um, again, people send me stuff. Uh, but over the, I, I was, the irony is when I was running games, I never used minis. I <laughs> used bingo chips, bingo chips with a little white sticker on it that had the name of the character and an arrow to show where they were facing. That's what we used forever. And we had a hex map, like one of those chess X maps, you know, with the water soluble markers and you would draw all the stuff and you'd have the, and I'd have red chips with numbers and arrows. So you'd, and that that was worlds. That was a whole universe. Is just right. so miniatures to me. I kind of felt the opposite that a lot of people feel about miniatures. To me, miniatures uh, took away from my experience of the game because now they forced me to see a certain thing. When mm. before the power of the RPG is, it's entirely in your imagination, and everybody around the table is having their own personalized vision of it. And when you put miniatures down, suddenly that. Uh, really narrows the focus and now everyone's seeing this miniature and okay well i guess he's got a shield and a sword and i guess he's this yeah tall. i love hearing that i love i've always been in the imagination realm theater of the mind we we've done shows about that and i'm i'm with you on that one i the the miniatures could get constricting to people can. like well can i run around this corner don't just narrate yeah. honestly you know, what do you do? I mean, it's hugely important for my show because it's such a it, it's a visual medium. So, of course, I, I want to have that visual representation. And, yeah, I love playing with toys. Let's face it. But uh, <laughs> but um, in terms of in terms of like uh, players engaging with the, the the active area and the map and stuff like that. I mean, honestly, the best experiences I've had pretty much always has been. Uh, I give a description, I take a piece of scrap paper, I do a rough, rough drawing of where everything is in relation to everything else. That's it. Go. So if people go, oh, I want to run over here and do this thing. Great. Bang. Do this. It's not, okay, well, I have to move my 15 feet in my three squares. <laughs> well, right. You're, you're always pulling out the measuring tape on the show. So. <laughs> well, well, in Five Parsecs, it's because it's a miniatures war game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, you pull out the tape measure in a war game. Come on. <laughs> so now I got to ask, when you were at Gen Con, did you, go, you had to go look at all these miniature setups. Those were amazing at Gen yeah, Con. That one that... Um, uh, the cyberpunk setup with the giant, the, the giant dock and the, the cargo ship. Oh, oh, I was like, Oh, that was amazing. An episode with this. <laughs> <laughs> it takes up half the house, of course, but you know. Okay. So now here comes a really tough question for you. Again, your show is edited and I'm trying to build this so that people have confidence in their home game. Do you sometimes roll a roll on the table and you're just like, no, that doesn't fit. Let me roll again. Because some people I've heard that they're like, oh man, I get stuck. And and, and I want to hear it from you. What you do in those situations when all of a sudden you roll something, it just, you can't get yeah. it to fit. So, 
So that is that is a real thing. Uh, and every Oracle book worth its salt will say, if you come up with a, a combination of words or whatever that doesn't make any sense to you, if after a heartbeat, something doesn't instinctually make itself known to you, move on. Put it aside, move on. Absolutely, that, that does happen to me. You won't see it in the show because it doesn't serve the entertainment of the show to see me go, oh, and, and you know, uh, lying leather. I don't know what that means. Uh, Nothing. Move on. That doesn't help anything. But there have been the occasional moment where I do leave that in. They're rare, but I do leave those in occasionally just as a reminder that I'm human, just like you, that sometimes. And when that happens, I go, you know what? I got nothing. Moving on. Boom. And that's all you do. That is probably the biggest thing I would say. You you asked about advice. Here's here's a big piece of advice. When you're on your own and you're, you're interpreting you're interpreting cues and and ideas from your oracle or your your matrices, whatever the whatever the the, the term is. Um, you always, always, always want to go with your first instinct, always, because if you're playing an RPG, presumably you have some level of imagination to begin with. Unimaginative people don't tend to be inter- into this hobby so much. Imagine you that. think? Do you think? Yes. So uh, I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, well, I don't have an imagination," to which I think. Well, why are you playing role-playing games then? I think you're lying. I think you're lying to yourself. I think you do have an imagination. I think you, you've you just never allowed yourself to listen to it. And that mm-hmm. is what solo RPGs force you to do, is to trust your own creative impulses. So when you roll on the Oracle and you get two things, your imagination is going to fire, whether you know it or not. It's It's learning to listen to it. Close your eyes. Cl- close your eyes and think of England in that moment and mm-hmm. just... You know, go with it and just go and see what happens. That's the biggest hurdle that I think people new to this have is they go, oh, I don't know. I can't come up with anything after they've already they've killed three ideas that they already had in their head because they're not confident in their own imagination. And that I'm glad you said the word confident. Yeah. That's just practice, man. Yeah, it's, it, you're you just you hit it right there. It's practice, right? I, I get this all the time with indie writers um, who are afraid to put the practice in, to put the time in, to put the reps in, and they don't trust their first instinct to write a great story, right? They they edit it and edit it and revise it and revise it, and they beat the life out of it. And it's yeah. like, why are you rewriting this story thirty times? You had it right the first time, yeah. right? And now you're just killing it because you're you're not confident. You don't have the confidence yet. Um, but I think, you know, Michael, I was I was I think we talked about this. I was really surprised when when Captain's Law came out and like how many people were saying, like, I'm not creative. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't get it. It's like, just trust the book, like just trust the rules, trust the flow charts that we're giving you. We're, we're trying to take you step by step to unlock your creativity. So just be willing to go with it. It's like, oh, but I'm not creative. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, well, come on. Do you <laughs> you think- are. We'll do pull you- it out of you. Yeah. Do do you guys think that that's because most people are coming to this from a player's perspective and as players, they've sort of been beaten into submission by the Watsies of the world that, hey, it's the GM that comes up with stuff. You just sit back and do what you're told, because that seems to be a very common culture amongst a lot of tables is, well, the GM tells you what happens. You just you just do your thing and well, and uh, don't don't take too much on. Now there are games, obviously, that are designed to empower the players more, sort of narratively and stuff like that. But absolutely, I, absolutely. I, I wonder if that is part of the issue that people come to this and go, "But I'm not a GM; I'm a player." Ah. Yeah, I, I almost I almost wonder if that's if that's the case. Uh, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't point the finger at Wizards of the Coast, although they are the the world's biggest RPG out there, right? 
but I think there are certain games that have become very, very good at spooning, feeding players exactly what they need. You know, like here's here's how to do things. Here's what you need to do. And then you rely on the game master to feed you absolutely everything. Whether it's the NPCs, it's the situations, it's the characters, it's the environment you're in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, like the old school modules, like they literally gave you everything. Like you go into this door, here's this encounter. You go into this door, here's this encounter. Very procedural, step by step by step. And uh, as a player, like you didn't really have to think about it. You were just going in and bashing down doors and, uh, you know, taking the loot, right? And, you, yeah. and I think that mindset has sunk into a lot of people where if they're not playing more narrativistic games, they may not realize that they have some agency and that they can do stuff. And uh, it, it's like I've noticed, even outside of Star Trek Adventures, I've noticed that a lot of gamers, like when they discover that there's other games out there than you know D and D, and this is no disparagement on D and D. It's just like when they discover that there's actually other games out there, it's like the blinders have been lifted, mm-hmm. and they're like they see this whole universe in front of them. They're like, and then they're scared, right? Because they're like, oh well, this is this is too much. It's too it's too new. It's too amazing. Like there's too much stuff. I need my safe you know security blanket, as it were. See, you're singing my song right there. My entire channel is dedicated to teaching people about all the games that aren't D and D. Yeah, like. I- everything I do is specifically not D and D. Yeah. Well, I'm going to latch back my reason. One of the reasons I think people feel that they are not creative is going back to the word confidence. Um, I've, and I know Jim does the same thing. I know a lot of the game masters I play with and the players, we create a safe space where people can try stuff without other people micromanaging them. Um, uh, criticizing their ideas because that environment has stifled a lot of people where they think one of the biggest thing I always say, like you're playing a solo RPG, you're not getting paid by Disney in order to produce an, a, a cartoon. You like have fun there. There's no one judging you, but yourself. So why are you doing that? Um, and then we see people put now, now at our site, continuing mission, people are donating their scripts and their bullet points to me, their story. Like, Oh, is this good enough for you? Yes. I just, it's, if you did it, it's great. Um, so I think, we live in an environment that's super negative and critical. Social media does not help the environment there. Um, we also like with the younger generation of players we're trying to get in, you know, we're children of the eighties. I'm guessing here we're children of the eighties where imagination was amazing. I mean, I think the eighties was one of the <laughs> Jim's like, okay, just stick with me. <laughs> You're a child of the eighties, man. Anyways, uh, I'll, I'll take the compliment. Thank you. <laughs> anyways, my point being is, we didn't have video games in our face all the time. That happened as we drove into the eighties and the nineties. And now, I mean, imagination, like trying to get my nieces and nephews to just play along get, but once they get it, they're like, okay, I get it. So I think there is that confidence issue where people are overly criticized. They're not playing games in safe spaces and they're too hooked on social media and that kind of gaming that that it's squelching the imagination so it's our job trevor jim to lead the pack and show them how to do it you know my i could not agree with you more and i think uh, i just watched a video today uh by a, a youtuber talking about the new you know and again it's the elephant in the room but the 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 dnd online vtt thing right now where they want to take everything and take it off the table and onto your computer screen so they can microtransact the hell out of it and all this all of this stuff um what i see is i see a group of young potential gamers who are playing a game that is traditionally based on engaging their own imaginations i'm seeing that ripped out of their hands 
so that they can now experience essentially a video game. They can ex- they can experience only what the corporation wants you to experience. And to me, not only is that antithetical to the entire purpose of the game, it runs counter to the power of the game because the role-playing Correct. game is a unique form of entertainment. It is a type of entertainment where you are both the author and the participant. You do not get this in any other thing with the possible exception of maybe like a team sport maybe but even with the team sport you're not observing yourself playing it and you're constricted too and you're and you're constricted right but i see the possible exception of team sports mm-hmm. but other than that there there is no other form of entertainment that engages the participants imaginations in such a way that they all have a personalized idea of what is happening in their in their imagined space and yet it's all part of the same thing under the under the umbrella of sort of a guiding force which is either a set of oracle rules or a gm and to take that away from different players especially it's squelching their imagination it's killing their ability to think imaginatively and therefore creatively and i think it is a much bigger problem than just a gaming thing but rant over i agree it's like going to an improv theater and they're and they hand everyone's scripts up on stage (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 my friends and i so i have a couple friends who work at bethesda and uh, we we talk about this all the time because they're they're lifelong rpgers and uh and and we've all agreed that like no matter how good a computer rpg is like like a like a elder scrolls or or even some of the the bigger ones uh like uh uh, knights of the uh, old republic or whatever like no matter how good an open sandbox style computer rpg is there are still rails on it somewhere there's a there's a there's a point where the imagination ends and you're constrained by what they programmed into it and what you can fit on your hard drive and you know whatever um and 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 so tabletop rpgs are are still the best way to get your creativity going because there is absolutely no limits like whatever you can possibly imagine you can have at the game table with your friends and and there is like I, i don't think there is another entertainment medium that you can get so much joy out of your dollar, right? Oh, yeah. like you buy, you buy, you buy one good core book and you're set for the rest of your life for thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of gameplay. Dude, and I like, have my, I have the original AD and D monster manual players handbook yeah. dungeon master's guide from the late seventies sitting on my shelf, the original ones. And if I, I mean, you can see the thumb, like the, the, the marks from years of flipping through those pages, the yeah. amount or, or my Palladium Fantasy first edition book. Oh my God, it, it's it's just disgusting because the whole side of it is just nothing but gross fingerprints, right? My Heroes Unlimited, I actually had to use duct tape at a point yeah. to get right. there. But Thanks. if you think that, that <laughs> book probably cost whatever, 20 bucks or whatever it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. And to think of the hours that we got out of that, there is nothing else that compares to it. Corporations you- don't want that. Corporations no, do not like that. They don't. They, they, you know, they used to have no problem because there was a time when they would stand behind a product and say, "We believe in this product." But hey, listen to me, sounding like an old man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sound like the ancient of days. Yeah, the, the, cor- the corporations hate it because you can't microtransaction a tabletop RPG very well. Yeah. I mean, you, you got a book, you're done. Like, mm-hmm. like someone can go buy that book and be happily on their way gaming offline completely, and you'll never yeah. know. Right. And in fact, I know we talked about that, but, uh, you know, Star Trek Adventures, I am confident there are thousands of players out there happily playing the game and they're just not engaged online. They're not online talking about it. They're not online playing. They're not doing anything online. They may, they may not even have an Internet connection. Right. They may be maybe out in the middle of Nowheresville, 
uh, Oklahoma, and but they got a, their little group and they're happily playing, and it's like we'll never know because uh, <laughs> they're yeah. just not connected. And this is this is therein lies the great hope is yeah. that you know, and, and this goes with all things when it comes to social media. You know, it's very easy to assume that because this forum or this Reddit thread or whatever, they're all saying this about this particular game, that that's what the community, quote unquote, is thinking. Mm-hmm. But it's nonsense because most of the community, people who are actually playing the game, are too busy playing the game to waste time reading forums and Reddit threads. Right. Yeah. Most of the time. Most You're not time. wrong. I mean, I actually have to say because I, I actually, uh, I have a... Uh, a post that's coming out on my on the blog about managing fatigue <clears throat> as a game master. Um, but when I was really thinking about it, I spend less time now playing the game than I actually do looking at the social medias, writing, you know, and so like and I'm like, and I was really sitting there like, what is the reason I'm feeling fatigue? And I think it's the social media aspect. I really do. Yeah, I think you're right. I think wow. social media is a, it's a tool that can do like any tool. It could be used for good or evil, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, had it has it caused a lot of evil. <laughs> it, can, it can be a black hole, absolutely. And yeah. Jim, you said it. You know, since you've been product manager on the game, you don't get to play hardly, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've had very little time to play, mostly because I've either been developing new products or um. Or I've been catching up on social media, trying to help out people learn the game, answer questions, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, even within the last you know couple of months, I've started to pull back from social media a little bit because it's just such yeah. a time sink. And I, I mean, I love the fans. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the fans and I love supporting them and I love answering questions. But like some of the questions are getting to be so, so um um, well, well, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, I just can't answer this question again. And well, like, well, this is the thing. But this is the this is the price of success, Jim. Right. You, you have more people buy the game. It has the tipping point, And then they all have the new questions. One of the good things that I've seen, at least for Star Trek Adventures, I can't speak for other games, is at least the fans eventually get around to answering answering the questions which is nice but yeah i understand you know you're eight years in it now so you're hearing the same questions you had eight years ago but and also you know as a designer right and and as a producer of games you have to be focused on your customer base so that's you know Mm -hmm. that's one thing but but even companies that do take the time to to still engage with a game like when i was at uh i was at the columbia games booth for all of gen con uh when we were there hanging with those guys, the the, the Harn guys, right? And I was so pleased to hear all of these old Harn creators and artists and writers, they still play. In fact, they said to me, hey, you know what? We're gonna, we're doing this campaign if you want. I'm like, you still play, that's awesome. You created the game and you're still actively involved in your own game. And I was like, that's so great. That is so great. And as far as I'm concerned, it's essential because if you're not playing your own game, if you're not even interested in your own game anymore, if it's just a a, a corporate exercise at that point, well, eh, what's the point? You know, well, what's the point of that? But absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I'm glad. I'm glad we got Captain's Log out because I'm getting a lot of fun playing that and just uh, burning my creativity in different ways. Um, and so, uh, it, it, it's, it's good. I just, I haven't had time to find a, uh, find a group. Right. So, you know, that's, that ties right into solo RPGs. Like I don't have time to find a group. I haven't found one that's been able to stick together for more than a few yeah. months. And, and it's tough. Like, it's tough, especially at a certain yeah. age of stuff. But, but let me ask you guys a question. Um, as someone who does not know Star Trek well enough to feel confident in being able to improvise around 
details in order to play a solo RPG set in this world. Is this book, does it have enough in it that I could feel uh, that I could I could jump into the Star Trek universe and feel supported by it? Like, well, I don't really understand what a dilithium crystal is. So uh, is there any or whatever? Right. Does, does this does this do do I need reference books or is this all I need? Uh, well, you answer it, Jim, because <laughs> I know yeah, the chapters I, you wrote on that, too. <laughs> I, I want I really, 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 really want to say yes. If you are a novice to Star Trek, the book has enough to get you started and then you can go play and have a good time with it. Um, there's a caveat, though. I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. I know Star Trek inside and out. I've been I've been, you know, immersed in Star Trek for for 50 mumble years. And um, I don't think I can fairly pull myself out of that mindset to say, yes, this book gives you enough to what you need. What I would say, though, is like, you know, if you don't know anything about Star Trek, grab this book. The first two chapters gives you a primer on the universe, a primer on the species, gives you everything, all the key basic stuff you need to get into it. And then I would say, you know, play it solo, because if you get if you get some Star Trek grognard in your ear telling you, oh, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. Oh, this is what Vulcans are. This is what Klingons are, blah, blah, blah. You're doing it wrong. You're going to throw the game across the room. and You're never going to touch it again. Right. Well, honestly, that's what I would be concerned about doing this on my channel, because yeah. I would be afraid that I would get something wrong that i would get the lore wrong and i would have these comments well actually a <laughs> don't have a photon torpedo. and i'm like yeah. i have no interest in okay. having well yeah. I, I can speak from someone who had zero not me i'm telling you an experience that one of our play testers had <clears throat> zero experience star trek zero zero is 22 years old um, urban kid, you know, grew up in the city playing football and, you know, going out and all that stuff. Just oh, never had. Heard. Yeah. Star Trek was just too <laughs> slow for him. You know, he likes Dune. <clears throat> he watches Star Wars. So um, we threw him in during the play testing and he went two days and played four games over two days to this day. That was that was had to be eight months ago it had to be even more than eight months ago now he's one of my main rousers for our tabletop star trek adventures game bringing people in okay. and I, of course i'm a nice game master i'm not a grognard at all <clears throat> like they'll be like well what's that and i'll show them a picture i'm like that's what it is okay now move on yeah and and so um based off that experience it, it, it can i seen somebody who had zero experience and uh he has the book he reads it now. He has a solo RPG book. He brings it in every time we play. So, yeah, that was a neat experience to watch. That's great. That's very inspiring, actually. That's awesome to hear. Okay, well, then sold. I guess I guess it's all I need. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, and if nothing else, um, we, we did put a curated list of uh, episodes to watch in there, specifically focused on individual character experiences. So, like, of Wait. course, Star Trek is meant to be an ensemble piece. It's a teamwork. It's teamship. It's all that stuff. But there are some, of course, over 50 odd years, there are a lot of Star Trek episodes that focus on one character. Like, this is, the, right. you know, this is Picard's special story or this is Riker's special story or whatever. The and so I, we, when we built that list out, we really tried to focus on those types of stories. So, like, you know, you know, Star Trek now is so easy to get to on streaming uh, channels or, so, or you know, online media or whatever, however you choose to watch it, that hopefully if you read the book and you're like, OK, top 10 things about Star Trek, top 10 things about Captain's Log. Here's the primer on the universe. I kind of get it. 
you can go watch a couple episodes, you know, to taste until you're tired of it or whatever. And then you can go get creative and lean into the the game and into the random tables and stuff. And then and then start building a story. I mean, hopefully you come to Star Trek. Hopefully you're hopefully you're a science fiction fan um, or at least you have a passing appreciation for science fiction. That isn't necessarily Star Wars because, uh, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, very different, even though some people don't don't see that. Um, but that's uh, night and day. It's yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I mean, to be honest with you, I as the project manager, I am hungry to read more fan responses to the book, especially for people who are not Star Trek fans or have never tried out Star Trek or never really experienced Star Trek. And I'm starting to see that a little bit. Um, Michael, I don't know what your experience is, but I'm starting to see that, especially with the younger the younger crowd that are on like discord and uh, some of the other modern social media platforms is like, they don't know anything about star Trek other than maybe lower decks and a couple episodes of discovery or something. And they're picking this up and they're like, Oh, okay. I kind of get it. And and then they're getting into it or, or not getting into it. They're, some of them bounce off of it. Right. The but, questions uh, I keep getting are, do I need to know star Trek? Right. And um, <clears throat> so the group of writers who put this book together, we knew that. Yeah. Most likely, you're people going to pick up who watch Star Trek are going to pick it up, you know, to, to play a solar RPG. But we also are very, very cognizant that this new generation does not have the time, maybe, or even the desire to go back and watch all the original episodes. <clears throat> so it had to be an introduction to what they might see now or what they might read on fandoms like Memory Alpha, Memory Beta. Um, but I will say I was heavily influenced by Starforged. And the reason why I liked that um, was because it made it so that you could actually play in this universe as a non-Starfleet officer. So we that you'll see that repeated multiple times in the book, that the universe is huge. There's people who don't even know Starfleet exists. <clears throat> you could still use this as a catalyst to games. You may have to do some tweaking. You may want to supplement like Starforge to help that out, maybe, you know, but but um, I know that that's we're very cognizant that that the generation is changing of Star Trek fans. And um, the one that started is getting smaller. But now we're seeing this mass growth with, you know, five series on TV. Right. That's true. But I mean, the the heart of any uh, series or story with any longevity is because it's not about the space, the space the specifics of its setting it's about the ubiquitous and and um ubiquitousness of its humanity because that's always like if i think of my my favorite star trek episodes none of them have anything to do with the minutia of the politics of the dominion versus the, the no it's about the core human story and that's if right. you look at uh, the iron sworn book or starforge book it always comes back to that too. It's about yeah. the core human story of this protagonist, this character. Um, you know, I mentioned before the inner light episode, which is probably one of the all time yes. great. My favorite TNG episode. Yeah, good, there, good. Is, there isn't a phaser fire that shot. There's no, it's entirely this incredible human experience. And I think, I mean, the things that I get excited about when I read new settings, and for me, this is kind of a new setting because I know very little about the, the details of Star Trek. But what I get excited about is when I look at it and I see the possibilities in the descriptions of the setting. I see not only the possibilities of adventure and the possibilities of conflict and stuff, but I see that it is grounded in humanity. It's grounded in in something that we all share, which is a desire to 
to go forward and to excel. Like all of the greatest fantasy stories are ultimately, I, I cannot stand the term escapist fiction. I think it's nonsense because people try and label Lord of the Rings as escapist fiction. It is the opposite of escapist fiction. Lord of the Rings is about that which is eternal in the human spirit. That is what the series is about. All of those characters, yes, they're elves and dwarves. They're all people. They all share that humanity. So, you know, again, I, I think that's how we get to the younger generation because an appreciation of of human stories that has been with us since we were fallen out of the trees and emerging from the caves, and it will be with us forever. Yeah. It is baked into our genetics. I, I think the biggest attraction to that generation is idic is in infinite diversity and infinite combinations. I think that's resonating now more than ever. And there's even been some discussion. I heard somebody say the other day, "Well, is that what Gene Roddenberry meant by it? it's like that doesn't matter because even asking that question is against idic." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I and nowadays we're seeing that in Star Trek is that all of these new characters are being introduced. So I oh, I hope that's the appeal to this solo RPG game is that people say, oh, I get to make it my own way um, and explore the universe from this angle and my human condition from this angle, introducing my wedge into the Star Trek universe, you know. Although it would be interesting, I noticed you could play as a Gorn captain. I'm like, oh, where do you find the uh, the humanity? That hey, you learn a lot about humans by eating them. Don't. True. <laughs> no, actually, I should never say something like that. Sorry, edit. <laughs> Sorry. They're they're all people, and, and and Star Trek. I mean, I, I mean, it's true for everything on television. Really, it's it's all about the people. Right. It's, it's like you, you come back for the characters is it's like, sure, the, the whiz bang, you know, uh, techno babbles, what's going to solve the plot this week. But you're coming back for the characters. You want to see what Kirk and Spock and McCoy are getting up to week after week. You want to see what Picard and Riker are doing. You want to see Janeway, everybody else. It's the characters that keep you coming in, especially with television. Right. Because that's, um, you know, that's uh, that's on your little little box in your living room. And you're inviting these people into your house every week. If you didn't like them, you wouldn't watch the show. You wouldn't yeah, you know, yeah. be engaged with them. But because they are engaging, fascinating people with human flaws and human foibles, yeah, that's yeah. what's interesting. And I think that's why we spend so much time in the books talking about how to build your character. Like your character matters. Your character's value values yeah. matter. And that's stuff that you can bring into the game. And, and, and that's grist for great story and conflict and stuff. So that's, that's what hopefully people are getting into. Like you may not know, may not know anything about star Trek, but you know, something about character and yeah. you know, something about drama, because we've been, like you said, we've been, we've been inundated with drama and story from our very beginning. I mean, hopefully, hopefully you're lucky enough that you had parents who read to you and, um, and, and, but even if you didn't, right, you were ingesting story at a very young age, you may not have realized it, but it's just, it's second nature. And especially today when people are yeah. surrounded by the, the digital tools of storytelling 24 seven, right. um, again, whether they know it or not, you know, there, there's a thing that we talk about in writer's rooms about how an audience might not be able to tell you why a particular beat in a script doesn't work, but they can tell you that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. That's because we are all way more educated than, than we think, you know, Joe America, who's never, never written a script in his life he still can watch a show and go, nah, nah this is garbage. He can't well, tell you why he could just yeah. tell you it doesn't work. I, I interview a lot of people at work um, to get to tell their stories. And it's interesting <clears throat> when I set them up, I don't tell them the, the, the camera's rolling. I, I, I do the setup thing and I talk to them and I have the cameraman go away, <clears throat> but it's set up on them because people are natural storytellers. But the minute you ask them to tell a story, they paralyze, they get free, right. frozen. And it's like, you were just telling a story. So I, I do, I'm one of those people, I do believe that every single human being is a storyteller. 
Mm -hmm. Sit down with dinner with anybody. They're going to tell you a story. They're going to tell you a life experience. They're going to, everybody introduces conflict into whatever story they talk about themselves. Now now to bring this back to, to solo gaming for a second and gaming in general, um, this is a bit of a bugbear for me as this whole notion of story, but let me explain. Let me explain. So every role-playing game that you play, there is a story. Yes, there is a story. And the story is that which happened to the characters. But there's a, there's a tendency for new GMs, new game masters, especially to be told that they are the storyteller. And that term drives me nuts. Because your job as the GM is not to tell the story. If you want to tell a story, go write the book. Because your job is to provide obstacles for your players' characters to overcome. And that becomes the story. Now, can there be a plot? Yes, there can be a plot. But your job is not to tell a story. Your job is to facilitate the actions of the players and that is, and, and I think that is absolutely crucial, especially, especially to people who are, are new to RPGs and to new to solo RPGs, because a lot of people, I see this all the time and I'm not disparaging this type of play. I just don't understand it where, where people say, okay, I've got my character. I know how it ends. He's going to, and at that point I'm out. I'm like, why are you playing? Well, because I, I want to see how he gets to the end. Oh, okay. But at that point, that's more of an academic exercise than it is a game to me. Because as soon as you remove the possibility of the unpredictable and the unforeseen, then you're no longer playing a game. It's like if you if you take, like we said earlier, if you take away the randomizer from the game, it's no longer a game. Now it's something else. And that something else can be perfectly fine and enjoyable. Right. Don't call it a game because it's not a game. Mm. <laughs> I feel this is going to become one of those little Twitter clips that whole minute right there. (laughs) I hope so because more people need to internalize that. And everyone says to me, even my, like my own uh, gamers who are all of an age with me, they have uh, very different experiences with games, but they're the same generation. And even they're like, so, so you don't believe that, that the job of role-playing game is to, is to have stories told. I said, ah, that's not what I said. I didn't say it's not to have stories told. I said, you as the GM are not the storyteller. There's a very big difference there. Your job is to present the world and the NPCs in the world and to facilitate conflict between the players or the, the characters. Rather I love that. <laughs> That's your job. And allow the story to emerge. All right. Rant over. Rant number two over. Good. Good rant. Agreed. Good rant. Agreed. Agreed completely. Absolutely. Great rant. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, cool. Well, this is, you know, I'm getting, I, I can actually say I'm getting everything out of you that I wanted out of this interview, Trevor, so far. Um, because I I really uh solo RPG is becoming more popular. It is now it, it is becoming more popular of an art form. It's it's shocking me with the variety of creativity we're seeing out there. So it really helps so much when you come on and you talk about it from this perspective. I really appreciate that. <clears throat> it's well, it's, it's really my good. Pleasure. And it is again, obviously just as a caveat, of course, this is just my opinion. It's my perspective. You know, <laughs> if you are the person that wants to not use dice and know where your character's going to end, that's great. Have fun, fill your boots. Just don't expect me to be at your table. <laughs> People are so mean when they're playing games. I mean, we all, me and Jim find ourselves always de- sometimes defensive. Like we're defending our right to have fun any way we want to i refuse to do this any longer that's right don't you know there is one two way to do things <laughs> how can you have and if i watch it at, at, at gen con people will be hovering like that's right it's like they're having they're laughing and having fun what's wrong with you yeah. all right very good jim any any uh 
final statement before we do our normal gratitude we go gratitude on our way out all the time final statement no i think uh, i think trevor's covered it quite nicely in that last little rant there and uh, just everything That's else good. that we covered so uh i feel uh, very satisfied that we, we were able to bring out everything we could possibly bring out um i, I was going to ask a question but i think earlier in the in the in the conversation i think we got there um so I, I hate I hate to go back and talk about it again because especially since we don't edit our shows, I don't want to I don't want to rehash old ground. But uh, I was gonna I was gonna ask, and I'll just I'll just do it. I'll just ask anyway, and, and just say you know, Trevor, um, if someone is looking at your show, right, and and looking at the production values and the quality and stuff, and and, and like feel intimidated, like what's the one piece of advice you would tell them to just get not worry about it, just go and do it and go have fun. And, uh, you know, go on. I would, forth. I would say, don't set up a bunch of cameras and shoot your game and put it on. YouTube. <laughs> Are you roped in? Are you trapped now by your own creativity? Are you boxed in? <laughs> I am. I am. It's funny. Cause even when we're doing new games here with my in, in person group here, uh, some of them, well, they're all patrons of mine now, which is weird to have my own friends being patrons, mm. but yeah, whatever, you know, they want to help support them, whatever. But, um, but even they're like, you know, I think for the next campaign you run, I think we should really shoot it. I'm like, no, is nothing just for me? Can I not have this? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't want to put everything on YouTube. You know, I, so I, yeah, I would say to people, again, as I said a million times in the past, I'm doing a show and it's specifically designed to be entertaining, ideally to people who don't know anything about role-playing games, let alone solo role-playing games. Yeah. Ideally, I'd like people to watch this and go, I don't know what the hell's going on, but I want to watch more. And I've had that happen, which is nice. Um, so yeah, you know, don't look at my show like it's the the measuring stick by which you must, you know, uh, judge your own games. Yeah. All you have to judge is whether or not you think you're being true to your own experience, which is slightly different than saying, as long as you have fun. No, be true to your own experience. Do you want to have the experience? When I sat down to play Savage Worlds, I wanted to have a, a true Savage Worlds role-playing game experience. And so, yes, of course I had fun, but that wasn't why I did it. I did it to experience that game. When I did Dominion Rules on season three, it's because I wanted, I saw this, this game, super obscure game. I went, this looks great. I want to run this, which means I want to run this I'm not just going to say, oh, well, I'm just going to ignore that rule. No, 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 no. I'm playing this game for a reason. I want to follow the rules. So I want to be true to my own experience of this. I want to be true to what I set out to achieve. So well that's what I would say. Well said. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, cool. Well, um, for those of you, again, who do want entertainment, watch me, myself, and die. He has, whether you like sci-fi or fantasy, you have options um, to what you want to, I'm a sci-fi guy, so I end up watching the five parsecs from Holmes. Uh, oh, I've watched it twice through so far. But I, first time was entertainment. The second time, I think, was education. Oh, well, good. Um, I was kind of looking through it. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you for that. Um, what we do at the end of every show, Trevor, is we express gratitude to whoever you want to express gratitude in the universe. I am going to be, I, I usually shout out the brick and mortars, but since this is a show about um, RPG, solo RPG today, I'm actually going to shout out some of the amazing amateurs on 
uh, actually, no, they're pro. They're super fan pro Captain's Log players who've been posting on continuing missions. Uh, there's a Nick Van Oosten who his Captain's Log debut, what he did is he converted it into a screenplay, which you can see on the continuing mission site. Um, I, blew me away. I mean, a full professional level screenplay that could be a Star Trek episode. So fun to re read. I, I go back and actually read the old screenplays from the movies and like Nicholas Meyer movies and even the TV shows. I actually love it because I want to see if I can hear the voices as I go through. So this was super cool. So that's my thank you uh, to you, Nick, for, for pouring your into this and showing another option for how you could journal um, and keep a record of your game. Um, who do you want to thank, Trevor? Well, I mean, there's the obvious of my patrons and YouTube channel members and all of that stuff. But specifically, I want to thank all of the people who took the time to write comments on videos of episodes of my show where they were legitimately moved by the story and the characters. And I see that a lot where people are talking about, oh my God, I was I was crying at the end because of this. And to me, that is the ultimate compliment that these people not only are watching my show and not only are engaging with these totally fictitious characters that all, you know, they all look like me. <laughs> you know, because it's just me. Um, <laughs> they sound a little different, but uh, not only are they doing that, but they have they have the generosity of spirit to take the time to write down their their positive experiences with engaging with that story that that you, you don't get that again in any other medium i mean I'm, I'm a writer as well i work i do a lot of stuff for marvel and you don't get that you don't get that direct one-on-one -on -one, wow when this thing that you did it really affected me because it reminded me of my father with alzheimer's and stuff i'm like oh oh it's just it's great it's great so thank you all for for doing that for for taking the time to actually write a comment about about how you you know were made to feel by a, a given situation that's so deep and before we hand it over to jim to do his gratitude and final words plug yourself trevor where can we find you well it's me myself and i on youtube and also me myself and die.com is the website where i have an online store uh i just launched a newsletter so i'm, I'm releasing sort of behind the scenes stuff uh, via the newsletter as well uh you can find me on patreon as well if you want to uh support me there uh me myself and die is always kind of the tag i am on the social medias but i rarely engage because i think there is societal cancer but uh, i do recognize their value in sort of uh marketing purposes although it hasn't really helped me a whole lot uh it seems anyway twitter hasn't or x x hasn't done a whole lot for me it seems uh but yes i do i do have the me myself and die instagram and the twitter and all that stuff but really if you want to find me find me on youtube me myself and die awesome how fortunate were you to get that me myself and die i mean that's brilliant i mean well, brilliant <laughs> that you can thank my wife for that. She was the one who came up with that. Because originally it was going to be, hey, what if I called it playing with myself? <laughs> Man, that's a whole different type of show. <laughs> they already have that. <laughs> they do. And it's not any site that I want to be anywhere near. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Trevor. I can't, uh, you know, ever since I uh, first spoke to you and saw you at Gen Con, I mean, just, just, I feel so happy to be able to fraternize with you like this. So thank you for coming on the show. Jim, you want to take us out? Yeah, I want to thank um, every 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 fan and every gamer out there who who plays solo RPGs. But not only playing solo RPGs, but uh, like actually 
posting stuff online, whether it's a, a short story that you got from playing solo RPGs or videos like Trevor does, or like just a YouTube, Twitch, like however you're sharing your stories and your experiences with the stories, whether they're actual plays or just, you know, getting into it, whatever game you're playing. Like I, I've seen plenty of Iron Sworn and Star Forged and uh, Five Parsecs and a bunch of other ones out there in addition to Captain's Log. So, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to focus this just on Captain's Log, but like, I am so appreciative of all of you sharing your stories because it just shows me the power of the creativity that's out there that are in these games. And it's really important that you are sharing those stories. And so even if you think you have no creativity and you think you're, you know, total amateur hour or whatever, you'll know, share them anyway, get them out there, whatever format, whatever medium you can get them out into. I am super inspired every day by reading this stuff, especially because the younger generations are getting so creative, bringing other technologies into solo RPGs. Like they're talking about chat GTP or GPX or whatever the hell that thing is called. Um, plus the, like, like some of these kids are really, <laughs> yeah, these kids, these kids on my lawn, um, like they're so creative, like they're able to build, like, like they write their own programs. They're, they're, they write, they write their own databases and stuff and load the databases full of, you know, uh, oracles and probability matrices and words and stuff. And they're finding ways to incorporate that into their solo gaming so that they're like the, the computer's helping them write the story. And I, I have a little bit of qualms about that. Cause that's like not using their full creativity to their fullest potential, but it's just a different way of being creative, right? They're writing the program. That's kind of creative. Um, and then they're applying those to the game. So I just, I'm grateful for all of these people for doing all this cool stuff because it just inspires me all over again. Um, and then I'll be, um, I'll be shameless and say, thank you, Trevor, for saying how little you spend time on social media, because that's, that's teaching me that I need to pull back just a little bit and, and focus more on the things that really bring me joy and, and maybe get back to playing some of these games that, uh, I've missed out on for a while. Um, not that I don't love the fans. I love you fans very much. Um, but sometimes it's a lot <laughs> and I just need to, I need to find that happy balance in me to make it happen. So thanks Trevor for, uh, for, for being a good example of, um, that, that I can probably follow and, uh, and, and find a better balance between all the different things that we're working on. Well, thank you. It's been my yeah. pleasure. All right. So until next time, the conversation continues. IDIC. Yep. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you all next time. 